You're listening to the Almost 30 Podcast. It's Lindsay Simpson and Krista Williams. Greetings. Almost 30 Nation Unite. We come in peace. We come in to peace. Serve you. <laughs> to serve you with great interviews. Um, what? Oh, God, we got a, an extra episode this week. We got an extra yeah. ep. You're welcome. Merry Christmas, motherfuckers. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I feel bad for her. That's all right. I feel bad for Kim. No. She gets this what intro. No, we, we got we got silly in this one. Yeah, this is a real silly one. No, we got we got silly, we got deep. Kimberly Ray Miller is the author of Beautiful Bodies, which is a quote, brave and witty examination of how and why we try to control our bodies with yep. food. Um, it was fascinating to track her path and how her um, struggles with her body mm-hmm. um, and her relationship with food have influenced where she is today. Mm-hmm. A successful writer and author. Yeah, I I just loved our conversation. It was super candid and and real. Yeah, I don't know. I just like love this girl. Yeah, she's she's an awesome person. She's a great writer. She also has another book called Coming Clean, which talks a lot about her experience with parents that were hoarders. So that one's super mm. exciting. And what I really loved about um, Beautiful Bodies and sort of Kim's take on everything is that she sort of, so she does go into her relationship with her body and sort of where that came from and like her struggles with trying to find or create the perfect body. And I think we can all relate to that. Mm-hmm. Um, but she also talks about like what is the ideal body and where did those um, ideas come from. So when we think about like the ideal body right now, whatever that is, like the Kim K, the Beyonce, through time, this has evolved. And she kind of goes into that in like a really funny, interesting way. So that's what I loved about the book. And it also helped her discover a great relationship with her body too. So for all my babes with the body issues or just always wanting to learn more about their relationship with their body, this one is for you. Mm-hmm, absolutely. So enjoy this episode. Let us know. Write to us, DM us. Tell us what you think. Start the conversation. Yep. Enjoy this one enjoy. with Kimberly Ray Miller of Beautiful Bodies. We're so happy to have you on. Yeah, we, so happy. We're blessed with your book, Beautiful Bodies, for our um, body love event that we had a few weeks ago. And they were picked up like people grabbed them so quickly like at our event. Cakes, yeah. It was it was amazing. It was so exciting to see. And then we were able to go down the Kimberly Ray Miller rabbit hole um, <laughs> and check out all of your stuff coming clean, um, your website, your blog, like everything. So you, I mean, you cover and do so, so much. I mean, it's amazing. And I would love to just start and kind of tell our audience a little bit um, more about you. And then I want to kind of go into your story of what what brought you to the place you are today. Because I can imagine you have an amazing, interesting, exciting past that really brought you to a place where you feel passionately about food. You feel passionately about fitness. You feel passionately about, um, you know, the relationship you have with your body. So yeah, we'd love to hear that. Okay, so Joe, where do you want me to start? <laughs> from the very beginning. Let's start from the very beginning. <laughs> where where did you grow up? But what was what was, you know, growing up in your household mm-hmm. like? How do you think that informed where you are now and and the journey you took to get to where you are now? Mm-hmm. Okay, so I um, I grew up in the suburbs of New York. Uh, I grew up on Long Island, and my father was a hoarder. Uh, he was a hoarder before I was ever born. So uh, a lot of for a lot of people, trauma sets off hoarding. But mm-hmm. 
whatever had initiated my that behavior in my father it happened long before I came into an existence. So, so I was born into a hoarding home. I'd never really known what a clean home mm. was like to live in, and for me, eventually, keeping up appearances became the thing that my life revolved around. Mm. So for me, I always, I always needed to be as perfect as possible. So as polite, as good of a student, uh, as thin, as attractive, everything needed to be cookie cutter so that nobody really ever noticed anything that was wrong in my life. Because if people had seen how I was living, especially by the time I got to high school, there could have been real ramifications for my parents. I could have been taken from their custody. They could have faced legal ramifications. And so for me, coming uh, across as absolutely perfect was the ultimate goal every day. Mm. And so, so in regard to body image, my body very, very early became something that I was very aware of. Um, I started modeling when I was in third grade and that was first time that anyone had ever actually said anything to me about keeping my weight down. Hmm. And, uh, you know, and as a, as an eight year old, I, you know, whatever an adult told me had to be the truth. Yeah. Um, I took it very seriously. You know, I, I stopped eating lunch every day, uh, in third grade and I would save every dollar that my parents gave me to buy lunch. And, I would count my money constantly, all the money that I'd saved from not eating. And it wasn't about having money, but it was about having something to show for my sacrifice uh, or to food. And so I started dieting very, very young and it quickly became something that I was good at. I was really good at losing weight and uh, I would eventually always gain it back. You know, uh, yo-yoing was uh, just a part of of being alive for me because mm-hmm. it, it's impo- it's really hard to just constantly be starving, and uh, so dieting sort of became the center of my life, and in, so much so that it's really what I built my career around. Uh, in two thousand seven, I was hired to host a talk show for Condé Nast uh, and their fledgling blog network. The talk show was called The Daily Special, and it aired every day online on one of their websites. And it was a running commentary on the way we see weight in our culture. Um, And it was the first time that I had ever really been free to not be thin. There was only one Mm. requirement for the job and that I had to be a size 10 or above. And it was the first time that I I was actually free to just focus on other things in my life that instead of dieting. Uh, and it was a really freeing moment, but I really owe my entire career to the fact that being thin was never easy for me. Uh, because that started me down the road of writing. Um, it was while working for Condé Nast that I started writing and then I eventually transitioned to other publications and got my agent and wrote Coming Clean and Now Beautiful Bodies. And so uh, and, and over the course of that time, I was also editing diet books and writing for health and fitness magazines and also ghostwriting for other authors. So uh, I really owe my entire career to the bad relationship I've had with my body. Mm. Wow. Take us back for a moment. So when you were 
when you were growing up and, you know, you were born into a hoarder's household, I mean, were you aware? Like, I know you were yeah. aware because you you tried to make everything feel or seem perfect or wanted to be perfect, but were you were you aware? Like, did other kids, like, know about this to make you aware? Like, how did you know that there was something different? Um, you know, I, I actually talk about this a lot in my first book, Coming Clean, but mm-hmm. I, I realized for the first time that something was wrong with the way we were living when I was in kindergarten. And I had, they, were, they used to have these kindergarten psych evaluations where every kid would go in and talk to the school counselor about their home life. And I'm sure it was their way of screening for abuse. Um, but I had a really active imagination and I had this doll I called Cheryl. And to me, she was my sister. So I went into my evaluation and I told them about how I had this sister and my parents used to lock her in the trunk and, <laughs> her, and uh, my parents tried to throw her out and they believed that this was my sister and they sent sent child protective services to our home and they did so with some warning and it was when my parents started to clean in this panicked way that I realized that something was wrong with the way that we were living, uh, the fights that ensued and and the way that my mother uh, would yell at my father that I was going to be taken away from them and that I would grow up to hate him for the way that we lived, that I realized that something was was not right at home. And of course, I had visited other people's homes before. I knew that other people lived in clean houses. I just had never really thought anything about the way that we lived. Uh, So when I was in kindergarten was really the first time that I realized that the way we lived wasn't normal and that wasn't good. Um, and, you know, from then on, it became my mission to hide how we were living. Mm. And when you were, and then you got into modeling when you were, when you were young and, you know, you were talked to about your weight and that kind of started the conversation. Did your family notice or did friends notice that you were kind of focusing so much on the eating and the dieting or... What was that like to be such a young model and have that weight conversation already sparked in your head? Well, I think it's important to remember that this was the 80s and so, and or early 90s, mm-hmm. and people weren't really talking about eating disorders mm-hmm. at that time. And if they were, it was sort of this movie of the week style glamorization of them. Yeah. And, and so, it didn't strike anybody as odd. And, you know, being thinner wasn't necessarily trying to be thinner. Even as a kid, no one was really thinking about the way kids were feeling back then. It was just like a very different style of, of interacting with children. So, no, people really weren't worried that I wanted to lose weight or that I was focused on it. They just, you know, thought that I wanted to be pretty. That was mm-hmm. totally legitimate at the time. And I remember I I went on my first diet with my mother when I was in sixth grade. I was uh, in a beauty pageant, and I went on what's called the Stillman diet. It's a super restrictive diet. It's it's a lot like the Ducan diet mm-hmm. uh, that was very uh, popular a few years ago when uh, the Duchess of Cambridge was doing it. Yep. It's very restrictive. It's all um, lean proteins um, and water. And my mom allowed me to go on this very strict diet before my beauty pageant because I, at, at um, I guess I was like 10 years old at the time, I was very developed. I, I had the body of like a 25-year-old mm. at 
uh, at 10 or 11 years old. And I just didn't fit in with other girls my age. And so she allowed me to go on this really restrictive diet so that I would fit in more physically at this beauty pageant. And so, you know, I come from a long line of women who have had body image issues. So dieting was just sort of a rite of passage and something that was to be expected to come around at some point. Yeah. Yeah, that's so interesting. We were just talking the other day about, yeah, the impact that our parents have had on the way we see our bodies. Mm-hmm. So it's just interesting. And and now, not looking back, but I think as we get older, we we start to see our parents as human beings. And at that time, you know, our parents were going through things that they were still trying to figure out and, mm-hmm. and understand about their own bodies and how they see their bodies. So in a way, it's just, it's hard to think that they were trying to, you know, instill something in you when they really didn't know mm-hmm. exactly what worked for them or what, you know what I mean? Yeah. So as a, as a young child, I know you think you felt like it was just a rite of passage years later or soon after as you maybe in your early 20s, was it something that you continued or that you realized maybe wasn't something that was best for you? Uh, you know, it really, it really wasn't until much later mm. that I stopped dieting. You know, I mean, dieting has actually been the cult, you know, the zeitgeist of my adult professional life. Mm. So, you know, I'm a spin instructor. I'm a certified personal trainer, uh, but I've also been writing for health and fitness magazines and editing diet books for a very long time. And so there's never been a moment in my adult life when I, when I wasn't surrounded by the diet mentality. And part of what drove me to write Beautiful Bodies was this exhaustion I had with feeling like the, the thing that my world revolved around was losing weight. Like there had to be more to yeah. life than just trying to be smaller all the time. And, uh, and it came to the point where I was just really disillusioned. I would go into work and I'd be like, I just don't want to hawk this to anybody else anymore. I don't want people to feel bad about themselves every day. And for me to be a part of that is, as an industry, Mm. Yeah, I love that. And I mean, this is a constant conversation that we have um, in our heads almost every day. So in your evolution then from how did you educate, you know, I would imagine if you're reading all of, if you're editing diet books and writing in uh, magazines and everything about dieting and fitness, what is the, how did you educate yourself so that you could edit and write about things like this? Because I can imagine that you would have to have, you know, quite a background of information to be talking about such you know, scientific things. Yeah, well, you know, the the hard part is when you are working on somebody else's work, yeah. you don't have so much room to yeah. change their premise. And so I've definitely worked on books where I felt like what they were selling was not mm. that I thought other people should necessarily be buying, but I could only really smooth the language over and yep. maybe recommend just certain caveats be put in place in regard to safety. Mm. When, when I wrote my own works, when I was writing articles uh, or ghostwriting for other people, I would make sure that everything I was writing was sourced. Mm. So, And looking for legit studies. I mean, you can find a study that will prove just about anything that you want. Uh, so it's really about finding scientific studies that are are large in nature that take into account a lot of different variables uh, that are peer-reviewed. And, and so 
constantly trying to find reputable studies to back up whatever information I was giving out to the public. What was challenging about kind of stepping away from editing other people's work and ghostwriting for other people and really stepping into like your own own truth and, and producing your own writing? I went about it in very different ways in terms of both of my books. Coming Clean was always going to be a memoir mm-hmm. and it was always going to be this raw... Uh, moment in my life because it was what I was going through at the time. Mm. The Beautiful Bodies was really supposed to just be research. I wasn't going to include my story at all. It was just going to be this historical nonfiction book because I really wanted to get to the bottom of it culturally, why we were so Mm -hmm. obsessed with dieting and changing ourselves and where it came from and why our bodies are different and why that's a good thing. And it wasn't until I'd finished an entire draft of uh, a a book, a version of Beautiful Bodies that my editor was sort of like, hmm, this is a little bit like a textbook. So mm-hmm. maybe we need to add in your personal story. And I was really hesitant to do that. And, you know, because I felt like I didn't have necessarily anything unique about my own difficult relationship with my body. Everyone I knew had a difficult relationship with their body. Um, and so it wasn't until I just sort of accepted that, you know, my story, my interest in this really only makes sense through the lens of what is a very, very ubiquitous, um, complicated relationship that we have. And part of the reason that it is so ubiquitous is because we sell it, you know, mm-hmm. culturally it's become, it's a commodity. We sell insecurity because it's profitable, Absolutely. What was, would you say was your biggest, I guess, insecurity or self-talk that would hold you back before you started writing? Was there anything that, you know, would go on and on in your head? You know, I would say that I was so comfortable in my discomfort. You know, my body became the excuse with which everything in my life could be explained by. Mm. So, you know, there were so many bigger hardships in my life, but being overweight and constantly struggling to, to find comfort in my own physique was so easy. You know, it's so acceptable to be unhappy with yourself. Yeah. It's much, much harder to admit these other big things are going on. So it, it, it was a comfort zone for me to constantly just use my body as an excuse for whatever it was, why I didn't get the job, why I didn't get the guy, why I didn't get the, you know, the acting gig or whatever. Everything came down to my body in my own mind because it was much easier to blame that than, than anything else. But with that came this villainization of a part of me that, I you know, I refused to see my body as a part of myself. It was just, mm. it was... It was me. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I feel like, too, we oftentimes have this story in our heads, you know, so your story, you know, is similar to sometimes mine where it's my body, it's never good enough. And it's just the constant where I'm always going to be dieting or I'm always going to be trying to lose weight or I'm always going to be trying to improve it or do something like that. So it's just part of the story that I continually tell myself in my head that's become just like the baseline conversation with to which I have with my body. Yeah. You know, 
Absolutely. I mean, I there's a part in the book where I reveal I I was like snooping through my then boyfriend now husband's email, and he had written to a friend about me, and he had said, you know, she's great. I really like her, but she's got a big butt and a belly, and I I don't know if I can get past that. And that I never told him that I read that, but mm-hmm. it lived in me and every single thing in our relationship that that doubt was in my head yeah. that he he was considering breaking up with me because of something that I had been battling my entire life. Yeah. And how honest did he, your aunt, he obviously knows now. What what's your relationship? Because I I wonder, I often think about that too. For your partner, you know, it's different than a friend. You know, they it's sexual, obviously. So there's that added layer. How do you deal with your relationship with your body and your husband, and, and the conversation that you kind of have with yourself? Can you tell me how you navigate that? Because I would love the advice. <laughs> <laughs> well, it took us getting married for me to tell him that I'd read that email. And that was the beginning of a relationship. So there was like four years between when I read that and when we got married and, you know, he, I told him how much it hurt me and he, I thought he was going to be defensive, but he was so crestfallen that he, that he had hurt me in that way. You know, and he said, you know, that was the beginning and I was a different guy and, you know, it's, it just became a non-issue for me. And he, and he said, I, you could gain 50 pounds and I wouldn't care. And the point, the fact was that I, I did gain 50 pounds mm-hmm. and he proposed to me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? So at the end of the day, you have to, and I had to trust that if they, if he was with me, he wanted to be, with me, you know, mm-hmm. um, and, but it, it took, it took, I mean, like the holy bonds of matrimony for me to finally be like, okay, I think he likes me. Yeah. Gosh, <laughs> wow. Totally. Like we need to make this legal. So I know that <laughs> so I know that you like me. One of the things that I really admire about you is your ability to be so honest and be so open and so real. I, I mean, it's incredible. Like it's, it's unlike anyone I've ever seen. What advice would you give for people who want to be more real, authentic, and honest? And what are your thoughts on being honest in in this world? Like, what benefits have you seen? And how can people be more honest so that they can get more out of life and kind of those relationships that they have? Absolutely. I think uh, honesty is sort of, it's a muscle, right? Mm-hmm. Like, you have to have to practice it. It doesn't come easily because we're all so guarded and there's such a stigma around anything ever being wrong. And it really wasn't until I started dealing with my past in my parents' home and, and how that it affected me, how growing up in garbage and, you know, my childhood was, it was really difficult and many times, in many times and coming clean about that. And I don't mean that as a pun, but to mm. just come out and, and tell people, you know, I, I, I didn't have an idyllic childhood. I didn't come from a perfect family. And here are all the ways that that is true. And to have people just not judge me, you know, people mm. were so sympathetic. And I think it's almost a relief for people to see you as a real person, as someone that they can relate to in their broken parts. I have formed much, much more meaningful relationships since I have started to adopt, I mean, like a manifesto of just always being honest about what's going on in my life and how I'm feeling. And I'm not saying I walk around telling people on the street that I don't like their pants. I'm just saying, like, (laughs) 
you know, the big thing, the big things in life are so human, Mm -hmm. you know, and there's nothing that you feel that somebody else hasn't felt. And maybe it was a different experience, but all of our emotions, they all come from the same very human place. And you're just much more able to connect with people if you're just honest about it, because I think we're all looking for that connection and to just not feel judged in our imperfections. Mm. Mm. I completely agree. What was like your, what was your turning point like in your Mm. relationship with your body, with food, with fitness? Did one happen? Did one click and then the others fell into place? Did you have like a mentor or a coach or a program? It's, um, it was a big moment and it wasn't a positive one. Um, I was, I, I miscarried a couple of years ago Mm. and it was, it was one of the hardest experiences of my life because it was something that I couldn't find a silver lining in. And I, I went to this really dark place, but it was the first time that I felt connected to my body in my entire life. It was the first time that I, I spoke to my body uh, in a comforting way. And I remember I had to take a misoprostol to finish my miscarriage because I wasn't losing um I wasn't losing the baby but it was it wasn't living anymore and um I so I had to take this drug and I remember this conversation I had with myself and I said I'm going to take care of you this is going to be so hard and it's going to hurt but I I will take care of you and you know it was the first time that I had ever shown any compassion to my body mm. and, you know and what followed was a really hard healing process. Uh, Mm. and also, and that followed with, I did have a pregnancy that was successful and being pregnant was this amazing moment, uh, in my relationship with food where I was like, I have to eat. It's, it's like a sandwich is just a sandwich. There's Mm. no, there's no evil, you know, subtext here. It's just a sandwich and I need food and it's responsible for me to eat food. And it was the first time in my life that I felt like, at least from my early childhood, that I ate and there was no inner turmoil with it, you know? Mm -hmm. And, you know, since, since then and then having a child and, you know, it sounds really cliche, but you know, there's just such bigger things in my life now to to worry about. Mm. So, you know, I, I certainly still feel sometimes like I'm just not, you know, I don't look like I did when I was 25 and that's hard, but you know, I'm actually more comfortable in my body now with like my saggy bits and and the things that haven't bounced back than I've ever been before because my body and I, we have gone through a lot together Mm. and, and I appreciate it in a way that I really never have before. Mm. And what advice for could you give to people or women that could, to love their bodies more? Treat your body like it belongs to somebody that you love, even mm. even if you don't yet. You know, even just fake it, fake it until you make it. You know, do what you have to to show compassion to yourself. It is the only body you will ever get, uh, and cruelty. You know, it just doesn't go very far. Yeah. It, it doesn't carry much weight. I love that. That's such a good piece of advice. Yeah. I think we we take for granted both like when we're feeling good and we take for granted when, you know, things aren't quite when your body is speaking to you. So mm-hmm. when things aren't so great, 
And that, Mm -hmm. you know, when they aren't so great, it is sending a message like this is out of whack. You should be doing more of this. Mm -hmm. And so I think that's a great piece of advice. My my spleen ruptured last week and I didn't know. Oh my God. What do you mean? What what happens? Like, how does that happen? So I had, I had mono and I didn't know because I was just tired because I, you know, I've just been like running around promoting a book, being a mom, writing another book. And like, I've just been like running on all cylinders and we just moved. And so I just thought, you know, I'm tired and that's pretty normal. And I just never rested and I never rested and I never let my body recover and my spleen ruptured and I was in the hospital for a few days and I I really, I really missed all the signs. It Mm. was all there for me. My body was giving me cues for months and I totally just bypassed it. Wow. Are you okay now? Yeah, I'm, I'm okay now. I'm I'm healing, but I'm, I'm good. What kind of signs were there? You know, like real exhaustion Mm. to the point where like my, my son would go down for a nap and I, I would sleep past when he woke up. Like I was really, really tired. And, you know, I had a sore throat and I was just like, well, you know, it's allergies. We just moved to a new area. There's different foliage. And, you know, I just, I just totally bypassed it all because in my mind, I didn't have time to be sick. So, Mm -hmm. um, so even though I'm giving advice here, you know, I still need it. Speaking of balance, like how do you balance being a mom, you know, being an entrepreneur, you know, teaching fitness, an author, like how do you, are there self-care rituals that you have? How do you keep it really balanced? I'm an introvert and I know that I need time to myself to mm-hmm. recharge. Uh, and I, I don't mean then that I'm shy, but I, I don't recharge when I'm surrounded by people. So, you know, I, I tell my husband, like, I just need three hours on Saturday to just go by to be by myself. And, you know, when he needs the same, I'll do that for him. But, you know, I do what I need to do to just calm myself and give myself space from everything so that when I do go back to work, I can, I can go full throttle and, you know, it's a, it's hard, you know, it's not an easy balance. It it means getting up early. It means working uh, during naps or when the baby goes to sleep, it means hiring people to help and, and getting babysitters and a nanny and whoever you can get in your life who will help support you. Mm. Um, it does take a village. It's one of the reasons we moved. Um, we were in New York city, uh, now we're in the suburbs and we did it because we needed the village to help us to, to do it all. So balance is hard. It's a, it's a full-time job. It is yeah. fun. We talk about it all the time. I don't know if I, don't, I don't know if I have it. We but don't really have balance. Someday. Like, I don't know. No one would look at my life and say it's balanced. Um, something yeah. also that I think is super interesting about you too is that you are a spin instructor and you are, you know, a personal trainer and you do have this love of food. You know, you have your food blog. How do you have these loves and not make it something that's negative and as a punishment for you if you have the negative body conversation? You know, for a long time it was, you know, it, it all came from my, um, my, I, my therapist says you marry your issues. Mm. And I married a personal trainer because Damn. Um, it was like full-time uh, motivation. Wow. <laughs> yes. And, uh, you know, there's more to our relationship than that, but 
when we just started dating, it was, it was absolutely a part of why I was attracted to him. He was like a perfect outlet for all my issues. Um, and so, yeah, all of these things started out from a place of obsession. Um, but you know, as I've gotten older and less obsessed, I've been able to compartmentalize them into things that I just enjoy, that it's okay to do things just because you enjoy them, not because they will lead to anything other than your own happiness. And, you know, and that's okay. I love that. And that is so true. I'm going to, I'm like thinking about now that you say you marry your um, I'm like trying to think about my boyfriend. I'm like, what is it about? Him? <laughs> um, also too. So it's, it's cool too, that you've really built this life around out of, you know, the struggle and pain that you had as a child with the hoarding and then, you know, the dieting at a very young age, but you've managed to build this life around those issues that you love. You know, you're a writer and you're in the space, but you're in a healthy capacity in the space. What advice would you give for women that want to build a life that they love out of something that they're really passionate about? It could be, you know, it could be like, this is hard or, and this is amazing. Like, feel free to be as real as possible. Well, I think that for a lot of us, the thing that drives us comes from the hardest things in our life. You know, yeah. it's what we—it's what we find refuge in. Um, it's really when you're when you're going through something, the things that you that get you through it often become the passions in your life. And um, the advice I would give is that it's okay to sacrifice for things. You know, it's mm-hmm. okay to say like I can't do X, Y, and Z. Or I'm not going to, I'm going to do them, but I'm going to half-ass them. But, you know, my energy is going to go towards this. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I I spent a long time sacrificing sleep or time or, you know, I mean, I was an actor for years and I got paid very, very little because <laughs> <laughs> I loved it. And so I sacrificed what little time I had towards making money so I could keep doing that. And I never would have become a writer if I weren't an actor. And so in that, I will say, allow the journey to take you to places you might not expect because one passion can lead to another. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that if you just trust that everything that comes to you is a learning experience, you may find that what you thought was your original path might you know, might just be part of it, might just be a branch of of a, an entire tree that will be your life, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, <laughs> that's total beautiful. sense. I mean, you've written two books. Talk to us about like that process. Yeah, like, the, the writing a book process. Yeah, was it, was it super challenging for you? How did you find flow? Like how long did it take you? Um, you know, well, coming clean took me six months. Um, they gave me a six month deadline. Whoa. And- I did it. <laughs> um, and it was hard. Go, it girl. was really hard. It was, um, it was like boot camp. Mm-hmm. Um, and when you write memoir, it means being an open wound for, for the duration of what, however long it takes, because you can't write memoir and hold anything back. Um, beautiful bodies took longer. It took, I think two, two and a half years to publishing. Um, I, my son is one and I handed in the final draft, like the week before he was born. Mm. So um, been a year waiting to be published, but it took about two years to write. Um, And that's because it changed. It evolved um, from one type of book to another. But the process is really all the same for me. I write 
through research. Uh, research uh, is my way of coping with things that I don't necessarily understand or I'm not comfortable with. And so with Coming Clean, I researched hoarding. And with Beautiful Bodies, I researched evolution and the history of dieting and our culture of dieting. And and so research is always how I start because I need to feel like I understand the topic before I write about it. Um, and then I just start cutting open wounds, you know, mm. <laughs> It's about, you know, finding that place where you feel honest about what's going on. Um, you know, I, I like to say that I have like one self-pitying draft where it's like just about like me, 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 me. And it's like how I feel about everything. And then I scrap it. And then I write a just the facts, ma'am draft. And it's mm. just like devoid of emotion. And you just everything. This is how it happened. Mm. And then I wrap it. And then I start again and I sort of combine the two in a place of that's much more balanced and much more honest, you know, you, but you have to, you have to give yourself the room and the space to indulge yourself emotionally a little bit so that you can find those moments of real honesty. I love that. Wait, side note, where are you living in the suburbs of New York? I just had that thought. <laughs> I know a lot of people there. Yeah. What suburb? <laughs> I live on Long Island. I live in a town Oh, that's what you said. Huntington. Yes. So beautiful. My aunt lives near there. Well, I love that process. Like have you, when you were writing, did, was it challenging with so many eyes and, and opinions like on your work, like for our listeners who are creative and so many of them are, and I think are sharing their work on the regular, um, how would you recommend taking that criticism? I, I really just go with my gut. You know, mm-hmm. I'm I'm lucky that I'm married to another writer. So my husband's a personal trainer, but he's also a writer. Oh, yeah. oh great. And um, so I, I have my own personal editor at home, um, but we're very different types of writers. Uh, and so I like to just run things by him to sort of get a really critical eye, but I generally never listen to anything he tells me. Um, and that's pretty much how it goes. You know, if I workshop something with other writers, I listen to what they have to say. I really like to hear how people are reading things, but I don't necessarily change things unless I agree with them, mm. you know have to learn to just trust yourself and own your work Mm. Uh, as you know people people come at things with their own from their own experiences and that's wonderful you know you can learn so much from other people but when it's your work you trust yourself that that you know it's best for you um and I've certainly made mistakes but um you know at least I know that everything I write comes from comes from me and where I want it to be Mm, yep. Yep. Because then people can't question if it's, you know, it's the truth, then you know what you're doing is right. So no matter if people question it, you can know that they're coming from their perspective rather than, you know, a place that that could be right. Um, let's talk about Beautiful Bodies then. Let's let's talk about what was the genesis of Beautiful Bodies? Like, where did the idea come from? So Beautiful Bodies came to me while I was working as a an editor for um, an imprint that was with Random House, but it was not um, in the building of Random House. It was, a, it was an external imprint. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they were doing diet books. And I was spending every day reading all of these ridiculous diets. And some of them are great. <laughs> Most mm-hmm. of them, you know, these extreme sort of nonsensical creations that 
so you know for the most part celebrities were coming up with and it was what they did and that's what you know but they weren't backed in science and they weren't necessarily safe and there was all sorts of like red flags that were going on in my my mind all day long and I was just getting really really tired and then at the same time I was getting married and I had stopped losing weight and I had, I, tr- I was trying, I was starving. I was mm-hmm. eating, you know, 800 calories a day, but I wasn't losing any weight. And I had my BMR checked and I found out that I was only burning 900 calories a day, which is very, very low. Mm-hmm. For active as I was, um, and who is my height and weight. And I went to a nutritionist and she basically said, you broke your body, you know, you spent years eating nothing and your metabolism just doesn't know how to process food anymore. Mm. And, you know, I heard of this, this idea of starvation mode my entire life. I never really bought into it because it just sounded like this like silly myth that we tell people because, you know, we don't want them to lose too much weight too quickly. But I had actually found myself in this place where my body could not process food anymore. And so I was four months away from my wedding and she put me on this diet that was gradually increasing my calories. So she wanted me to go from eating 800 calories a day to eating 1800 calories a day, which just, if you come from a disordered eating background, like that's just an astronomical amount of calories mm. uh, to someone f- who was used to eating what I was eating. Mm. And, you know, this, I just, it was really emotional for me to the idea of eating that much food. Yeah. Um, but, you know, it was gradual. So we would start and I would just eat like an extra yogurt and like everything was just very healthy but it was measured. And so when my, I, when I was, I would gain a little bit of weight and then my weight would plateau. And when it plateaued for a little while, we would add more food in. And eventually after four months of doing this diet, I lost like three pounds. (laughs) (laughs) You're like, yes. In my previous life, like I could lose three pounds by lunch, but, yes. um, and I was really, you know, sort of disheartened that I'd gotten married at this weight that I was not comfortable with. This idea of having to fix my body after years of subjecting it to all of these diets that I was now selling to people every day mm. sort of came, you know, full circle to me. And I said, like, I have to just figure out where this comes from because it's not me. I'm not alone. I, I wouldn't be employed if I were alone. And so I, I decided to start researching the history of diets and the ideal body and why we're all so obsessed with having one and why our bodies are shaped differently. You know, I've always been told that evolution sort of takes care of things. And so if there is a perfect body, why don't we all have it after, you know, millennia of evolution? And, you know, and so I sort of started spending all of my nights and weekends at the New York City Public Library researching and researching and researching until it became a book. Wow. I love that. I think there's such a need for, it's always helpful to know kind of like the history and like the, how things evolved to understand, you know, as humans, how we are now and like the little ticks and the things that keep us going and the things that hold us back. Yeah. Um, so I think it's like very interesting. And I think it makes it so much, you know, it's obviously 
it's such a great book, but I love that it does have the social history aspect with the, mm-hmm. you know, your own thoughts and your own memoir because you're obviously so relatable and I feel like so many women can relate to you and the thoughts that you're having. But um, I think having the history part of it where it's kind of, the history part's funny too. Like when you really think about it, mm-hmm. you know, makes it makes it so exciting. So I think it's it's amazing. So bravo. How's the book tour? Um, well, the book doesn't come out until next week. So that's when like everything. Oh, everything kicks. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I'm just gearing up and figuring out how to. Oh, so we got the early. Yeah. We got lucky. And our listeners already have it. Yeah. (laughs) A lot of them that came to the event. Yeah. I know. That's amazing. What are you most excited about for the next year? What's next for you? So right now I am, I'm starting to work on a new book. I'm starting to research a book that has nothing to do with me. (laughs) Really excited about it. And I'm sure my, my publisher doesn't know about it yet. And I'm sure they're really not excited about it. Uh, (laughs) Surprise (laughs) y'all. But, you know, I kind of feel like, you know, when you write memoir for a living, nobody reads memoirs about like really happy, well-adjusted people. Mm, So true. about, it's always about the hard stuff. And so I'm hoping I have no more memoirs left in me. So now I'm <laughs> focusing on uh, other people's issues. Um, so I'm looking into some historical characters. Um, so I'm really excited to sort of delve into this research of a historical family and piece together their lives. Cool. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Amazing. One kind of side piece just about becoming a mother. Like, what have you learned I don't know. I, I'm I'm eventually so excited to become a parent. I think, you know, that's part of like why I'm here. I, um, but I think I'm going to be really scared. <laughs> mm-hmm. so, it's so it's so scary. You'll yeah. never not be scared. And with your, with yeah, with your, with um, how you grew up, I just feel like, you know, there's so many things that you've had to unpack to get to the place where you are now. And now you have a child of your own. So what did that feel like? You know, when I, the first, moment I looked at my son, I, I told him, you know, you will, I will always give you somewhere where you're safe mm-hmm. and, and a home that you are proud of, uh, because that was what was important for me. That's what I always felt like I was missing. But, you know, the thing is, it's so much bigger than I, I ever thought it was going to be. And, you know, I, I thought like, I thought it would just be, you know, like I would write when he was napping and like, it would just be so easy, you know, it would just be perfect. You know, I would never, I wouldn't have to get a nanny and I wouldn't have to go, he wouldn't have to go to daycare and I could just do it all. And it's so much harder than you think it's going to be, but mm-hmm. it's so much, it's so much bigger. And, and it's, it's just a really unbelievable to be loved as much as a child loves you and to love someone so much that, you know, you would die for them in a second. And, you know, it makes me appreciate my own parents so much. And, you know, I always felt loved. You know, my parents were flawed in many ways, but I always felt loved. And I, I appreciate them so much more now after, you know, going through this experience with my own son and, and, and knowing how hard it is to balance it all uh, and to always put somebody else first, you know, just because I'm a mom doesn't mean that I'm not a person anymore. And there are definitely moments when I'm mm. like, oh, I just really need to do this. And I can't because you have needs. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, 
Um, it's like, I guess yeah. I got to keep you alive. <laughs> yeah. Like, keeping you alive is the most important thing in my life, but I also have all these other things to do. Yes. Um, so it's, it's hard. It's a really hard mess of wonderfulness. You know, it's, it's complicated and beautiful and messy and exhausting. Uh, and I wouldn't change it, you know, at all. Aww. Well, you're an inspiration and being so open and sharing your story, both in your work and, and with us. Um, I'm just really excited for our listeners to hear from you. Mm-hmm. I think it's always such a blessing to connect with someone who has been very honest and introspective and giving and throughout their journey. So thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah. I'm excited to read Coming Clean now. I'm pumped. I know. Now that I know more of the background, I'm like pumped. <laughs> Quarter life. Um, <laughs> and then Everyone Beautiful Bodies is, when When will it be out then, Kim, for, for everyone? It's coming out on July 25th. July 25th. Wonderful. Amazing. So everyone can get it. Oh. And then where else can people connect with you? Um, you can connect to me on Instagram. It's Kimberly Ray Miller. It's mostly pictures of my kid and my dog. Mm-hmm. Uh, Facebook. Uh, it's the uh, Facebook slash the Kim, uh, the Kim Challenge, which mm-hmm. is my blog. So you can go to thekimchallenge.com to read more of my ramblings. And Twitter, it is Kimberly R. Miller. So those are all of my platforms. Mm. Amazing. Thank you so much for making the time. Thank we you. so appreciate it. Thanks. All right. We'll be in touch. Have a wonderful rest of Thanks your Thanks so Sunday. much, Kim. Have a great night. It's so good talking to you. <laughs> Bye. 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 lady. Hey guys, thanks so much for listening to the Almost 30 podcast. We love, love, love hearing from you. We would love for you to review on iTunes. If you visit iTunes, click write a review and give us your honest review. We love that. Um, Our reviews have been so positive lately. So give us a review. It helps you. It helps us. We want to bring on more amazing guests and spread the Almost 30 Nation love. And you can also become a part of Almost 30 Nation in a deeper way at patreon.com. Patreon.com slash almost 30 um, is where you can go to donate $2, $5, $10 or more a month. And you can connect with us via Google Hangouts through our bonus episodes. We give our patrons a almost 30 dad hat, which is a gorgeous jean hat with our logo on it. People have been rocking them all around the country. Um, So tag us if you do get your hat. Um, Among other rewards, we're just so excited to connect with you in more ways. So patreon.com slash almost 30 and write us a review on iTunes. We love you guys. Have a great week. 